Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Really great to be with you. Um, and today I've uh, got another new guest on the show. Uh, really exciting. Um, uh, a podcast host and um, a speaker. Does a lot of work with churches uh, and spiritual communities. Um, Kate Boyd, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's really great to have you here. And um, you host a podcast called the Happy and Holy Podcast, which is a really great name. Um, and that's a really great podcast. And um, yeah, tell us a bit about just so, tell us a bit about briefly about the work you do, and then we'll get into your story. Yeah. Um, so you know, by day, I'm a communications director um, at for a, a small department at a university here in Texas. But, um, you know, in my spare time, at least what little of it I have at the moment, I am just, re- I'm really passionate about biblical community and what it looks like and what it means, um, as that's been something that I have been challenged with for a long time in my life and, um, you know, having experienced different things. So I like to work with churches or individuals, um, just to help them, you know, shape a vision of community that works and makes fully formed disciples. Um, but is also, you know, flexible, like what we're seeing now, this need for flexibility. Um, a lot of people didn't think about it until, until COVID hit. And now all of a sudden people are realizing that they're centralized, versions of church um, aren't necessarily the best way of doing things. And so I sort of come in with a, a another way of doing things um, and just sort of help them shape what that looks like within their community. That's fantastic. Really great work. Um, and it's amazing you do it on the side as well, because like, I've seen your work and your website and t- t- hear you talk about some of the things that you do and like, that's a lot of work to be doing <laughs> as well as a full-time job. Yeah. It can certainly be a, a handful. Um, I have gotten pretty good over the years, at least of compartmentalizing things or processes and things like that. I, I'm fortunate in that before I had a full-time job more recently, um, I owned my own marketing business for a few years. And so I've got a lot of the skills and processes and things like that down um on that end so it makes that part of things not quite as heavy as it might be for some folks fantastic fantastic so you've got a really interesting story as well about how you got into this work that you're doing um so tell us tell us that story yeah um i mean i would say gosh what even year is it it's 2020 um over the last decade or so and maybe it's more like seven or eight years um I've really been challenged with looking at Christianity and church from a global perspective. And that happened for me because I happened to get a job at a missions agency, a mission sending organization close here in town where um, I live in the Dallas area. So they send out of there. And actually part of my job in the marketing department was to travel a couple of times a year to different locations in which they were sharing the gospel, training believers and planting churches. And, um, I, and I got to sit, you know, in a room across from them and, and interview these believers and ask them questions and 
hear their stories and um, even, you know, go out and see how they were doing what they were doing, what they were doing, the people that they were doing it with. And it really just radically, it really rocked my world in a lot of ways, not just from seeing what life looks like outside of my, you know, very middle class um, American Western space, but also seeing, you know, what church meant to people um, in places where that's not a thing that is the norm because they worked among unreached people groups and um, <clears throat> things like that. And so there were a lot of people, like when you became a Christian, you were in a minority of your population. And so that really ch- changes the way that you interact with Christian community. Um, and I just kept coming back every trip and being so dissatisfied in a lot of ways with um with the level of community that I experienced here in my own church, which is not even that big of a church by Texas standards anyway. Um, I, I think it's probably a decent size, but you know, we'd probably be a small to medium sized church. Um, and we had small groups and things like that, but we were, we kept running into, and my husband and I kept running into various things that sort of kept us from connecting with people really well. And so, you know, as I kept traveling and kept kind of untangling American Christianity from global Christianity, it really sort of reshaped how I think about my faith, of course, but also how I think about what that looks like as a, as a people together. Mm, Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating when you come out of that bubble, isn't it? I mean, I, I live out of that bubble. I live, I live in the UK, and I'm always talking to my, to my American friends about how different it is, and they're kind of surprised. You know, it's um, it's it's very different here than it is in the US. Um, yeah. Uh, and and obviously, you've seen that on a global scale, not just kind of one country. Um, how does it impact your own your own faith and relationship with Jesus? Yeah, I started to kind of realize that a lot of what I believed Christianity meant was um, what American Christianity meant. And so, you know, whether that was from how people lead or how people behave or what our role in, you know, society is, um, whether that's government or vocation or whatever, it just sort of I had to start untangling. I keep saying untangling because I think that's what it was. I think a lot of people, I mean, I deconstruction is the big word now. And I wouldn't say that I totally deconstructed everything from my faith, but I at least had to learn to separate what was biblical, which meant what had to be global and workable in every place. Um, and, And then what was just sort of, I was coming at or I was taught or I was raised in from, you know, a, a, another perspective from the American perspective, or even, even outside of that, from a very Southern perspective. I mean, I mostly, mm. I mostly grew up, we, my family sort of denomination hopped for a bit. Um, but for most of my formative years, it was in the Southern, ba- in the Southern Baptist, you know, convention. So there's obviously a lot of uh, baggage that comes with that, that everyone's sort of seeing now. Um, 
but it really sort of shaped, you know, what I thought I could do, what I thought about how we did things. Um, and so it just kind of, yeah, I had to sort of take some of those things and stop seeing, um, Christianity as a place to assert power in the world and start seeing like more, um, personal, organic ways of, of leading and loving people, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, because it's so different when you escape from the bubble. Mm-hmm. When you come out of the bubble and you start to see things with different eyes. Like I've noticed this since I left, you know, what I would call traditional church. Uh, it's difficult to say what it precisely it was. I mean, I think I deconstructed out of evangelicalism, but I also deconstructed out of, out of, out of, of a form of progressive Christianity as well. Um, yeah. Um, like, and it was basically fundamentalism. I, you know, deconstructing out of, and, and as soon as I left the church that was, that was like that, that I was in, and I started to see things differently, it was just like, whoa, you know, you, you can't see it when you're in it, you know, and no. there's, people, yeah. there's good people that are in it. I mean, people that I know, friends of mine who are in it and can't see what it is because they're not outside of it. Right. Um, it's like, you know, asking a fish if they can see the water and they're like, what's water? You know, they're just in, that's the environment that they're in. They, they don't know any different. That's right, yeah. Or if asking if we can see air, you know, like right. we're we're just in it all the time. We're we're breathing it all the time. Um, but yeah, if you uh, take it away, you notice it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you notice it pretty quickly. <laughs> so um, exactly, you know. But it's um, but yeah, you're right. It's it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, so what lessons did you learn, and what what did you realize about spiritual community that you needed to to bring back with you? I think the first is um, just how how deep it's supposed to be. I mean, when I was growing up, small groups weren't even a thing. Not really. Um, not at, at least not in the churches that I went to. Um, not until college did I ever have a small group. Um, <clears throat> and so I sort of learned, um, you know, in my environments growing up, it was very much about like, this is the knowledge you need. We're here to teach it to you. Now you go out and live your life. Like, so I think that was sort of the first thing is that church was sort of a place to consume. Um, Mm. and, and it, and to where you didn't really, there were only a handful of people that were empowered, right. To actually like teach or discuss or have, you know, the right kind of questions or whatever that was. It was a place where there were smart people and there were not smart people or people who hadn't learned yet. And so you, there were always sort of those dynamics, whether that was in the church service or in, you know, Sunday school, as I grew up calling it, um, people call it all sorts of things now, but, um, (laughs) and so where you are taught and you've got lessons and you do all those things. So I think that's part of it. Um, that it was just sort of like a place where we go and that was 
and we're taught. So we're consuming there. I think it's also, I had to kind of learn that um, the church isn't a building, which sounds so elementary um, and so obvious, but, and even what people who have big church buildings will say, but it's not how they behave about it. And, um, and so Mm -hmm. like disconnecting those things um, and just realizing like when you when you only have a couple of people who believe if they are together and they are worshiping, they are church, they are doing church, they are being church. And so, you know, getting to experience that, whether it was, you know, in some random bamboo hut in Asia or, you know, under a tree on a plane in Africa or, you know, in someone's little home in Latin America, like, these are all places where church is an expression uh, is a valid expression and these people are qualified to lead it. Right. And in the sense that they have the Holy spirit, they are willing. And even that it's the community that sort of keeps um, the orthodoxy, if you will, I, for a lack of a better word, like they are the guardrails, right. The community it's by discussing this and learning it together even if there's not somebody who has gone to seminary, you know, that's not an option for so many people in the world. Um, And especially if it's just you and your family that are the only believers around, you may have someone who's coming in and and leading or, you know, showing you what to do at first, but after that, you've got to do it. And that's a totally valid expression too. Um, And then I think the other thing going back to the depth piece is just that like church isn't just that one time a week thing. It's, it's a whole life embodied community. It's an ethic, right? It's something that we not only do that once a week when we worship, but it's also something that guides our lives and how we interact with each other as believers through supporting one another. I mean, the metaphors that Paul uses in the Bible, right, are things like bride and family and body. Like these are not separable things. These are things that are joined together in very specific ways um, that we need to be aware of and to mm-hmm. behave more in line of and and taking ownership of what church means outside of the worship service where we do come to worship. And that's a beautiful, beautiful part of what it is to be the church. And even doing that, you know, in the new heavens and new earth someday with all these people from around the world gets me really pumped up. I love that. But it's only a part of what church is. The rest of the church is taking care of each other, forming each other in the faith. um, And of course, you know, doing good in the community and spreading the faith outside as well. So it's, it's gotta be bigger than all these little bits that we've made it mean. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And, it's really interesting that how a lot of things you talk about are kind of when you're in there, you, you, you kind of say them and you, you kind of, you think, you know what you mean. And then you kind of come out of it and you think, Oh, well, oh, really, that's what it means. Um, it kind of becomes more real. And I think this year, the pandemic 2020, cause we're the last, we're recording the, on the thing, the last few days of 2020, mm-hmm. um, this year has really amplified everything, I think. And one of the things I've, I've noticed that it's amplified is what church really is, you know. Yeah. Because churches have had to meet online this year. 
Um, they've had to have services online. They've had to engage with their communities in a different way um, and still be community without the building. Right. Uh, so you so this year you begin to you begun to see that actually yeah church isn't just a building and um, that it, that it's not just about meeting on Sundays that it's about way more than that. Yeah, I think it's really sort of forced people to re-examine how they do those things, especially since all of this went on so much longer than any of us expected at first, um, or maybe other people expected. I certainly was a little, I knew it would go on longer than most people expected, but not quite this long and and even into next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's kind of what got me fired up about all of this this year in the first place was just kind of seeing how people talked about church and whether that was the people who were doubling down to meet in person um, as though churches were being closed for, you know, for a persecution reason, or if it was the people who are like, oh, I'm really bummed that I, you know, that this online church thing isn't really church, even though they're doing it with their families and they're worshiping together, or that they're, you know, upset that it's a passive online option and they don't get to participate in some of the things. And I know that for some traditions, faith traditions, there are, you know, levels of of comfort with, you know, baptism or communion in small groups. Um, I know that that varies widely, but it really just made me kind of sad and even kind of mad that we were talking about the way that people worship around the world all the time as families in their homes as sort of a lesser option. Um, when it's, you know, the option that started the church and it's the option that carries through in a lot of the global church who doesn't have access to the kind of resources that we have. And so Mm -hmm. I really just wanted to challenge people to think outside that and get creative. And I think churches have started to realize that, you know, that's, they're having to take ownership of that, you know, theological vision for the church as well in the midst of all of this and, and learn how they can do that better and maybe even take some of the things that they've learned and push it forward into the rest of, um, you know, outside of a pandemic, because I think it's actually closer, you know, having to meet in smaller groups or worship as families or whatever that looks like. I mean, when you look at biblical examples, that's closer to what was happening then. I don't think how we do it now is totally bad if we have all of the aspects of church. Um but the fact that we could be empowered, we could remove a lot of obstacles to church um, or a lot of obstacles in church um, for folks if we sort of decentralized it a little bit better. That's right. That's right. You're absolutely right. We need to, uh, we've been discussing with some other people, um, that we need to learn the lessons from this pandemic because things have changed and they're not going to go back to what they were before. They're not. The, I mean, like, I mean, we might go back to going out and shopping and going out and eating out and all get, doing all the things we did before, but but it won't be the same. Uh, and it's really important, especially for spiritual communities, to to not think, oh, let's just go back to doing what we did before. You know that they've got to be, they've got to learn the lessons of this and 
actually almost catch up with modern technologies and catch up with how things already have been and yeah different ways to engage with people because i mean it's not only it's not just the pandemic but it's a generational thing as well for sure that that, you know that young people younger people are not always going to just be the same and go to church physically and you know it's a different it's a whole different world and we need to engage with that yeah and i think too what we're also seeing it are the holes right the holes in the way that we've done church that have you know now they became really glaring because there wasn't anything else to hide behind there weren't attendance numbers to hide behind or any of those other metrics that you might measure by so it really became about you know oh gosh how do we keep up with everyone how do we connect how do we make sure everyone feels seen in a time where we can't see people and those are questions we should have been asking all along right but we've been missing them because it we were producing things and consuming things um and so i think i don't even know that it's the technology i think you know it's helpful to be able to work you know, online things. But I actually think it's much simpler than that, that we're having to sort of re revamp things to be simpler. And, and I think that's what, to your point, young people have been asking for. Like, I remember working one of my first jobs out of college, when I was going to grad school for a little bit, um, I was an ad- administrative assistant at a church. And, you know, their worship leader was talking about just the differences and how young people and older people preferred their music. You know, the older people liked, you know, the full band and the choir and the old, the old, I don't know, he would say old school way of doing it. And like the younger people at that time, just liked a guy on stage with a guitar. And like, now we're even seeing, I think we sort of have, we go back and forth with those things, but I think we're even seeing like even that in my generation, because I was 22 then, you know, was this desire for authenticity and simplicity. And, you know, I don't know that we ever got that way. I think things just got more polished, polished and produced because they felt like we needed that to be marketed to. Um, And I don't think that's entirely wrong. I think it did attract a certain amount of people. Um, but if there was nothing behind that to where you actually were seen and supported and shaped and sent from that, then you, then we didn't do any of those people that we brought in a service, right? We didn't actually do what we were meant to do. We just brought more consumers to the table, which isn't what church is. And so mm. we're sort of like having to dial back into this simplicity, even if we do have an online service where there is maybe a worship team and then there is a a preacher preaching. Um, You know, the actual work of discipleship now has been reallocated or should be reallocated to these like smaller groups or to families or whatever it looks like in your community. And maybe that's where it should have been all along so that people actually had those relationships and had that depth so that they were sort of seen and shaped in that because I really think we're refined in relationships and if we don't have that in our lives then we're missing um part of the experience of what I think it means to be a healthy disciple too and so it's 
it's really interesting to sort of see people have to shift. And I, I hope that we continue to carry forward some of this simplicity um, because that's, that's actually what's, you know, multipliable. That's what's replicable wherever you are, you know, in whatever context, or if you, you know, have to move cities next year, you know, you can get connected to a church and get connected to a few friends or something and create that yourself if you need to. Um, but we need people to know how to do that. And we need to put, we need to put more power or power in more people's hands instead of relying on one person in the church or a handful of people in a church to carry all of those loads as well. Like that's what the body is for. Um, so I think we can learn a lot from the burnout that we're seeing as well as sort of this like disconnection that we've experienced. And I don't even think the disconnection was even happening. I think the disconnection was happening even before the pandemic. It just sort of shined a big light on it. Like, Oh gosh, these are the people that, you know, we have their names on our rolls, but we don't even know what they look like. We know where they live, but we haven't talked to them. Who talks to them? Who can we reach out to? And nobody knows. And that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's like the the pandemic has been the great amplifier. Yeah, uh, it's just throwing a light on everything, really. Uh, and that, also, this is one of those things. And yeah, um, I, I yeah I agree with, with what you said. It, you know that what happened in the church, I think, in the last twenty years, especially, was in an effort to become more professional. I guess to kind of have higher standards and not just be a cheap version of of, of, of everything else. I think that got mi- mixed up with marketing and, you know, consumerism and all of that and capitalism to a certain extent, yeah. um, especially in America. I mean, the, the, the system of evangelical, even conservative evangelicalism is very tied in with, with, you know, um, capitalism and, um, uh, and also, obviously, politics as well, um, uh, and that system of systemic racism—it's all—it's all kind of tied up in that. And it, it became like this, especially the late nineties and early two thousand. There was this—you know—it just became this kind of visual media experience thing, rather than kind of a, a spiritual encounter and relationship. Yeah, I think, and I think. And I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I think that it started from a good place. I think it was. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah we want to. Bring, yeah. We want this to be appealing. We want to bring in more people, um, and and so that sounds great. But what we have is actually the best news ever. And what we have is this really great community that can actually change communities and change worlds and help each other. Um, and so we just kind of lost sight of the basics and went to like making it big and appealing. And so I, I think we started in a good place, but yeah, it then somehow spiraled beyond that and, and got in intertwined with all these other things that have now shaped it so deeply that it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to separate them in a lot of ways, especially here. Yeah, that's right. That's right, especially yeah, in America. I've noticed it in America myself when I've visited uh, and gone to kind of evangelical churches. It's um, yeah, a lot. It's all tied in together, and it's very difficult to to separate it out. Yeah, uh, 
And actually, in some ways, this pandemic has done has has, has done that. It's 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 almost shone a light on that. And now they have the church has to respond. Um, yeah, I think the pandemic, and I also, I mean, as a book recommendation, which it's been everywhere lately, but Jesus and John Wayne. Um, was really helpful in connecting a lot of those dots for me. Like you said, I I grew up in it. So it was hard for me to see it. And I didn't necessarily see all the background of what brought all these things. I just sort of saw the surface level stuff. And so that was actually a really helpful book. So highly recommend for everyone, Um, especially if you want to understand evangelicals in America, you will learn a lot (laughs) from how it all sort of came together um, from that, because it just, it really did become yeah, a whole different animal within, you know, a few decades. Yeah, yeah, I really did. Um, lots of things start out with good intentions, but, uh, you know. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, we've all done it, right? Like, we're, yeah. we're all guilty of that at some point. <laughs> so we can relate as long as we learn and adjust and apologize um, as we go. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, yeah. I mean, what are the so you came up with a few practical things that you now now use to to help churches and and spiritual communities and there's a lot about this on your website. So talk talk us talk us through that and, and what that's about. Yeah, so I think it really just I think the first thing is that you have to realize that every church community and every community that your church may be in is different, and so instead of giving a lot of like, do it right this way, um, I like to think of sort of the rhythms of what a church is and help us sort of go from there. So like the first one is our vertical rhythm, which is our worship. So together, um, this is our intimacy with God as a, as a corporate body. I think we put a lot of um, focus on individualism And church is actually about community and connecting with God together. And so really kind of making sure that as you shape worship, you do so with that in mind, with the people in mind. And that's not necessarily catering to your people, um, but even just expressing, you know, giving opportunities for people to worship in a way that they love to worship or, um, you know, helping them get opportunities to sacrifice in worship sometimes by not worshiping the way that they prefer, but the way that their neighbor prefers. Um, And even expanding that worship into the way that we love each other every day. So I think really thinking about worship as sort of the first rhythm and determining how you create, you know, your liturgy for worship in your services as that rhythm. And then I think the second rhythm that we need is that horizontal one, which is what I, I put under the heading of unity. But this is really our intimacy with other people and how we like steward our time, talent, and treasure together. Um, and it's kind of like pastoral care, but it's not all on the pastor's shoulders, right? I think we're all gifted. We all have various resources and we all have needs. And that's not meant to be on one person's shoulders, it's meant to be, and we're seeing that with a lot of people burning out now. So there's, um, it's meant to be something that we all share together as we see needs. And maybe the greater church is the one that helps meet those with the resources, but we have to sort of be the pipeline for doing that for each other. 
And then mm-hmm. I sort of think of the internal way that we do it, um, which I put under the heading of formation. So how we kind of support each other in discipleship. Um, and I talk about this on three levels, like orthodoxy. So what you believe, orthopraxy, what you do, and um, orthopathy, which isn't totally a made up word. There have been people who have used it, like John Wesley used it. He would use it slightly differently than me. Um, but it's really about shaping us into who we become and how we relate to one another. Um, I think it's kind of crazy that there's all these relationship skills that we don't teach people until they're in premarital counseling, but you actually need them because you're in relationships with people in your life all the time. So it's giving people tools in all those places, you know, by creating some sort of discipleship pathway that really like shapes those parts of the person, um, on those three levels. Um, and that looks very in different in various ways, but giving opportunities within your body to do that. And then lastly, our external rhythm, I like to think about as compassion. So this is, you know, engaging in the mission of God, meeting the physical and spiritual needs in your community. So finding them, gathering resources, meeting them. Um, and so all those things are going to look, you know, different in every place because every place and every set of people has different needs or things that they struggle with. So it's really a matter of contextualizing from there, which is what I help some people do. But those are sort of the areas that we work in and they sort of fall for me under the two headings of intimacy and integrity, which I think is what a lot of people feel are missing from their church experience right now. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I think that's true. There is a, there is a lack of that and there is a need for that. Yeah. I love those. And I love those different things you talk about the, um, the vertical, the horizontal and the other things that they're all these different elements that make up a healthy spiritual community. And, and um, how, how is it, how is your own, spiritual community kind of been impacted by this and or how you do your how you do spiritual community yourself yeah um so for us it looks a few various ways um i mean we we are part of a a church here um that we enjoy and so you know we participate in their worship services online um my husband and i also lead a small group there um, unfortunately we hadn't quite gotten our foot. We were a new group, so We didn't quite get our footing before the pandemic hit. And so we've kind of struggled with our, our rhythm of meeting and connecting. Um, cause we, we actually work with our group was made up of, you know, young single people and they were impacted really heavily. So just trying to like keep in touch and, um, their jobs all sort of went in different directions. So that's been sort of a challenge in the pandemic anyway, um, but it's still been really great to, they were actually a really great group of people who really wanted that intimacy factor. And so from the beginning, they were open to share and they were so supportive of each other. And so we're hoping that, um, you know, we can keep that connection going. And then I would say we've got, you know, a, a Bible study slash home group slash like, um, you could classify it as a house church, I suppose, um, with some friends of ours too. We started out as a as a trivia team. We used to go out to trivia every week um, together, and uh, we obviously can't do that now. 
but um, we, they were believers or one became a believer while we were meeting, not necessarily because of us, but um, we were, you know, part of his community. And then we sort of started doing Bible study and stuff before we went to trivia. And so we've kept meeting. There are COVID bubble people. Um, so they're like some of the only people we see. Um, and it's just two or three of them. So they hang out. We hang out together once a week and, and talk about the Bible. So for us, our faith community is, um, looks a bunch of different ways. That's really interesting. That's really interesting how how that shaped that shaped your own experience, uh, and especially that home group as well. Like because obviously, like that's something that you are responsible for, so you get to shape as well. So yeah, fascinating. Um, it's really yeah. This has been really interesting to talk about, uh, and um, yeah, it's really encouraging to hear that you know all these all these things that you're learning and all these things that, you know, that are really, really important and that, you know, spiritual communities, you know, the church kind of needs to hear. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone is ever going to get it hundred percent right. Not me, not anyone, not any community of people because we're all humans and we're all going to mess things up at some point. Um, so I also try to be really careful about not idealizing what community should be. Um, or what I expect or what I desire, because I know that it's going to look different ways in different seasons, in different places, um, with different people. And so it's really just kind of, it's also needing to let the Holy Spirit speak into whatever situation you have as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think community is going to evolve in an interesting way as we leave this. And I'm just really glad that other people are excited to talk about it like I am. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting to see how how that's going to evolve. I think it's going to evolve in some really interesting ways uh, over the next over the coming years. It's going to be an interesting thing to to observe. Um, I want to be like one. If there was one bit of wisdom that you've learned that you want to share with people who are, I suppose, curating, organizing, leading spiritual communities right now, what would it be? Mm. I think, um, I think it's, I'm going to give two sort of related things. One is, um, that we need to take a little more ownership of our role in discipling people, Mm. um, instead of sort of outsourcing that to the pastor or outsourcing that to the worship team. Um, worship is something that we do in our lives. It's not this learning. It's not, um, you know, any of these little, these bits, right. These are all pieces, but they're not the puzzle. And it's, it's through these like life on life, deep relationships that we actually create disciples. So I think that's the first thing is that we need to start taking more ownership in that and start thinking on maybe a smaller scale, um, but a deeper one. And then I think the other part is that, um, remembering that you're qualified to do that or that everyone, you know, has their own set of qualifications for being able to do that. I find that a lot of people are intimidated by leading communities or being part of communities because especially here in the States or even here in Dallas, we've got a couple of seminaries here. Our, my church is 
full of seminary students. And so it can be really intimidating to think of yourself as a leader because you don't know as much. But, um, you know, everybody has a gift or a way that they are able to lead or care for other people. And maybe that's not head knowledge, but that's not, you don't need that, right, in order to lead. I think I want people to know that um, the same Holy Spirit that is in their pastor or their leaders is the Holy Spirit that's in them. And it's maybe manifested itself a different way um, with different gifts, but it doesn't make you less qualified just because those gifts are different. And so being able to team up with people who maybe have complementary gifts or learning to empower people in their gifts and, you know, curing communities that meet the needs of each other through those gifts, I think is really important. So it's sort of that depth as well as that empowerment piece that I think is really going to be important as we move forward. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kate. Um, And uh, where can people find you and and connect with your work? Yeah, um, you can find me on my website, um, which is just kateboyd.co. Um, my podcast is the happy and holy podcast and you can find that on pretty much all the major podcast players. Um, and then I'm on Twitter at the Kate Boyd and Instagram at kateboyd.co. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, really appreciate it. It's really great to have you on the show. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, me too. It was great. Yeah. And, um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Take care.